Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome on, everyone. Finishing out the 15 and 60. I hope we went long enough for you guys the first round. I know we didn't get through all 15 teams. And then Mark Stein was available yesterday. So we're going to finish this out today. Today's episode is sponsored by us. Patreon.com slash Duncan LaRue is the way to support this show. And more importantly, to support our effort with the NBA cast. We are making some updates to that. We're going to do Houston OKC on Christmas. So we hope that you will join us there. Follow on Twitter at Nate Duncan NBA for all the updates during that Houston OKC game. We're going to be on Twitch. We're going to be on Periscope and hoping to get up on YouTube, which has a pause button for you international streamers and uh, add uh, some cool features as well try and up our game a little bit on the nba cast so please check that out and support that endeavor at patreon.com slash duncan larue all right let's continue in reverse alphabetical order now with the detroit pistons danny the pistons are now 14 and 14 a rough one and seven since the last time we covered them in 15 and 60 their net rating is negative 0.7 which puts them 20th in the nba 23rd in offense still surprising 11th in defense 538 projections put them at 40 wins and even though that's below 500 that still puts them sixth in the eastern conference and gives them a 71 percent chance of making the playoffs so you made the point here as we were preparing that you thought that this is the best season of Blake Griffin's career. Arguably. Arguably. Okay, so far. Well, so so what is that argument? So I, I think the argument goes in a couple of different realms. So one of them is in terms of effectiveness as an individual scorer, he's pretty pretty remarkable at this point. You know, 58 true shooting. Granted, that's not as good relative to the league as it was as early in your career, earlier in his career. But the shot mix, I mean, back then he was taking so much of what he did at the rim. And it was also so much that was assisted. In the early part of Blake Griffin's career when he was with CP, he was getting two-thirds of his shots just in the two-point range, and then he wasn't shooting any three. So it, it was a, a very talented, but a, a dependent talent. And now Blake Griffin is a much more significant part of, you could say a weaker hole. I think that would be certainly fair to say, but it's so much him. Like he's the leading offensive force on this team. And I think that's really impressive. And then defensively, you know, he's he's still, I, I still don't love his defense, but I think this is about as well as he's played over the last, at least the last little while. But I mean, back then he was, you know, he was a contributor too, but I, I think that he's improved defensively too. So I'm not sure I'm all the way there yet. And it's also, I mean, it's a small sample size when uh, I, I don't like it when people say, oh, well, you know, through 30 games, player X has X, Y, and Z, and nobody's done that in a full season since 1990. And that's because... 30 games is not 82. Sure. So I'm not saying this will be his best season or anything like that, but I like to scale in degree of difficulty a little bit here. And I think the degree of difficulty for Blake Griffin is higher now than it have, ever has been. He definitely does not have a lot of other threats uh, on this team. You know, going back to the first JJ Reddick season in LA when he finished third in MVP 2013 14, they had that heartbreaking loss to the Thunder 
in the second round that was the donald sterling year in the playoffs they had that seven gamer against the warriors that was really and then maybe 14 15 probably the best he's ever played just for any short amount of time was that Spurs series in 14-15 and then the beginning of that Rocket series and he wore down by the end of that they blew the 3-1 lead of course that was another just excruciatingly disappointing loss he also only played 67 games that year he played 80 in 13-14 I mean pretty amazing Blake Griffin made the all-star team the first five seasons of his career and has not made it since it's this will be I assume he will be back there this year if he continues to play at anything like this level so statistically I think you're pretty close right 29% usage that year and you know a lot of that's getting set up by Chris Paul 30% usage this year and you mentioned how much is being self-created the turnovers are a lot higher he's at the highest turnover percentage of his career but again so much of what he's doing is self-created not actually the highest assist percentage of his career but you know right in line with where he's been these last few years hasn't been the rebounder that he was early in his career like he still would get on the offensive glass early in his career that was not the case anymore and he had 583 true shooting back in 2013-14 just the identical mark to what he has right now and usage true shooting pretty much about the same but because he hasn't been as good on the glass he's turned it over a little bit more and then perhaps the biggest thing is the offensive environment as you noted it is a little bit higher so his pr then a career high 23.9 in 13 14 only 21.5 this year uh now the three-point shooting i mean we've talked about that it's not that far above where he's been before taking more off the dribble certainly and that again has opened things up he's just had the ball in his hand so much more than he used to but i think he was a better player in 13 14 um just because he was such a nasty dunker back then he was just so physically overwhelming i'm incredibly impressed that he's managed to get back to where he was the the fact that he has one of the highest free throw rates of his career in this is age 29 season that number had been trending way way down and he's just and i think Dwayne casey has really helped him as well um his assist rate would probably look better if anyone else on this team could make a shot which has been a a big problem so yeah i mean it's been a great renaissance for him our hope of course is that he will be able to stay healthy to continue this level of play but he's absolutely playing an all-star level and i probably would have predicted that he would not make the all-star team maybe at the start of this year yeah i don't think that i would have either and i mean we were kind of thinking at least i was about the idea of kevin love and blake you know aging really poorly and with these lucrative contracts that both of them signed over the last couple years and those guys you know had had been in the western conference all-star mix and all that for years and they peaked at pretty similar times but there is there is some concern in detroit i mean blake's story is wonderful but their losing streak recently is you know it kind of demonstrates a lot of what is concerning granted that losing streak broke with a win over boston they won by nine at little caesar's arena then they lost only by three to milwaukee in a kind of a weird game but in that losing streak they were that was kind of really when they went back into facing tougher opponents they had some softer stretches and were able to you know were able to to chew on chew on those teams a little bit which is good i mean that's that's what you would expect a playoff team to do but you know playing okc playing Lee twice milwaukee and that you know to me they looked like they didn't belong against those teams which you know ideally if you want a team to go 500 they should be more competitive in those games the pistons other ostensible all-star has really been struggling of late over their six game losing streak andre drummond shot just 55 percent at the room now a lot of those are kind of no hope taps 
against the glass like he's getting a little bit lower percentage there but you know guys like deandre jordan and you know other big hulking dunking centers don't seem to have their shooting at the rim affected that much and then five of 21 from uh we'll call it hook shot range for him floater range that's atrocious also 49 percent true shooting and it's just that's so bad for a center and it, we just he needs to be in a smaller offensive role to some extent yeah 40 49 true shooting for a guy that doesn't take shots out of the paint yeah and just so many bad post-ups and then of course what's also killing that stat is that his free throw shooting has regressed now he's back down to uh 53 that's actually he's had some hackadroman moments during the season of course with the two minute rule now it can't get that ugly but there was some hope that he would be you know out of that range but at 53 percent, you know it's something that uh teams are trying uh so yeah i mean i think he if anything he's taken a step back offensively this year um quick question i want to ask you since we're almost out of time on them now what do you think is their most easily addressable weakness you know this is another one of these teams that's going to throw a parade if they get the eighth seed so uh, what do you think they need here you know i think they actually would be a great jeremy lynn destination like he would easily be the best point guard on this roster but then the question becomes you know what are they going to send back is it going to be reggie jackson well you know do they really want to give up another first round pick they already gave up the pick that became basically became shea or miles bridges each either of those guys would look great in a pistons uniform right now to get blake so do you really with your future already kind of locked in here do you want to give up another pick they've uh they've certainly gone in that direction maybe a few too many times of late well and they're constrained by a couple of things one is their salary future is really i mean they have blake and drummond paid for a long time and then they also have kind of excess bad money and so maybe if they could do something where they got out of a little bit and did that but i i would actually be looking if i were creative creative with them would be maybe if you're trying to move some an asset with somebody like john lure and try to get somebody maybe who's under contract for a little bit longer because if you get jeremy lynn that's just a rental and maybe he comes back but they don't i don't think they get like a hometown discount or anything like that i mean if you want to talk about how like a good example of how limited the shooting is on this team blake griffin is currently very close to leading the pistons in both three-point attempts and three-point percentage and while he is doing better than we would have expected probably in both of those things he, you, you kind of want to have more depth on this team in terms of shooting you want more, a larger number of guys and yeah maybe they could make something happen there but as i said they're really asset poor they've traded all these second round picks i think they're not they're not out there next four but they're out for moving forward and that's a big challenge because giving up a first as you said comes with a much larger cost it, because that's really the way this team gets better over the next two to three years and especially because first round picture cost control yeah i'm i'm not sure obviously where where they go from here here's a, a, another quick question for you just this year would they they be better if they had not made that blake trade and let's say they drafted either bridges or, or shea with uh the number 12 pick they probably would have been right around the same area i would imagine well, i mean tobias harris has had a really good year too yeah i mean tobias harris for blake griffin I mean, they probably couldn't have gotten much for for Avery Bradley. I doubt he would have stayed. So then they probably lose that money, but then they would have had the ability to use their full mid-level. They probably could have gotten somebody better for that. And then either they use the pick to draft somebody who could, you know, help them a little bit. I mean, you don't want to overstate a late lottery pick's immediate contributions, though Shea has been very good. And Miles Bridges, as you talked about, Ben Taylor has been surprisingly productive in Charlotte for a rookie. Yeah, I think they'd probably be better off. The one big concern for me is just... 
Tobias Harris, that would be such a workload in terms of creation. And the Clippers succeeded in a different way too, but that would be a lot for him. I think they'd be close, probably be pretty close. Yeah. Yeah, I think they're probably better. I mean, Blake has played at such a high level this year. You know, Tobias is more of a secondary guy. Blake has been uh, the main guy. Let's turn to Cleveland now. A rousing 8-23 after a nice victory in Indiana. They've had like some frisky upset wins. They won at Philly. They won at Indiana tonight, ending Indiana's seven-game win streak. And they're a, a solid enough 4-5 and five since we last checked in on them. They do have a negative 8.6 net rating, which is 27th in the NBA. And they support the 24th ranked offense and the 30th ranked defense, although they, again, played pretty decent defense today. They got a little lucky with some missed shots from Indiana. But uh, at least they're not one of those teams we were talking about the other day that's in the bottom five in both anymore. Uh, so they still project for a mere 22 wins, and uh, they will not be making the playoffs. Uh, Larry Nance had a heroic tip-in to win them that game today. They ran the last play, interestingly, for Rodney Hood, matched up against Victor Oladipo. Indiana elected to switch with the, pretty early on, with about nine seconds left. And this is after Oladipo had missed three free throws in the last minute of the game. And Indiana, as the Cavs went zone, uh, missed a number of open three-pointers. Indiana actually led by six uh, with about three minutes to go and scored only two points the rest of the way, both of those uh, on individual free throws. Uh, actually, no, I think they scored three points the rest of the way. Nonetheless. They switched Miles Turner. Miles Turner actually played great defense on Hood, forced up a contested J, but because Larry Nance had gotten switched uh, onto Oladipo, Nance just went right into the lane on the roll, threw Oladipo out of the way. Probably was a foul, but Oladipo kind of flopped and not really a great decision to do that when you're on the last play of the game. And I think, you know, guys should definitely be more aggressive going for offensive rebounds, especially when you're down late in the game, because that's just, it's not going to get called. Uh, and it didn't this time. Oladipo's decision to flop was not good. And then Nance made a wonderful tip in, like right over Bogdanovich, who probably fouled him as he was going for the tip in. And uh, they just took all the life out of the arena. It was a pretty impressive win. Yeah, it was. And something that made me happy about it, I've been frustrated over the last week and originally had a long note in the, in the podcast plan about how even though Tristan and Kevin Love are both out, Larry Nance wasn't starting. They were doing that weird thing where they would start Channing Fry and then he would only play like 14 minutes. Yeah. He would do they, the, they started the Keith Huggins against uh, the Sixers. Zizich for one game. Well. Yeah, and so finally, but Larry Nance was still playing plenty of minutes. Like this was not an issue of, oh, they're only starting him. Like, it's so it's so frustrating to me when a guy doesn't start and then plays like 32 minutes because you should just start the guy. It's a lot easier to manage. Usually the rest gets screwed up. He started, played uh, 33 minutes against Indiana, had 15 points, including that game winner, and also six. 16 rebounds, six assists, which is which is pretty impressive. And we don't want to do a breakdown on Colin Sexton yet. We had a lot of other things on our plate for this week, but I wanted to just give a rundown of his stats as a starter. This does not include their win against Indiana in the previous 19 games, 18 points, 2.7 assists in 32, th sorry, 33.2 minutes per game. True shooting percentage, 51.5% on 26.5% usage. Usually I like to round those up, but you can't, they're both 0.5, so I'll read them at 0.5. 2.7 assists is atrocious in 33 minutes for like a small forward with a 26% usage. 2.7 assists is pretty bad for like a center with 26% usage. Uh, so that, that was the biggest knock on section was 
was his, his distribution he's gonna have a long long way to go there but i i do like the way he's quickened up his release uh and we'll see if the three-pointer is going to come along obviously a lot of long twos in that shot mix another guy who has been creating a lot of offense for them although he did not close this game alec burks actually has been closing games instead of clarkson uh is jordan clarkson well i introduced that horribly but anyway jordan clarkson has a 29.7 percent usage and 53 percent true shooting but uh even he has a much higher assist percentage than uh colin sexton does and that usage rate is a career high and he's creating his own shot a lot more this year which is not a surprise you know, he was especially in the playoffs he was spotting up from three more around lebron and, and you know he really failed it in that role so he's assisted on only 33 percent of his makes this year and he's taking 48 percent of his shots from mid-range but hitting 47 percent uh we'll see whether that continues or not um three-point shooting is down uh uh, and they're slightly better defensively with him on the floor but i don't really attribute that to him couple other notes uh, on the Cavs: not exactly the houston rockets in terms of their talent but they are fourth in the nba with 9.9 possessions finished via isolation through a shot or turnover again that's more indicative of guys just not getting open having to play late in the clock and you know not really having any passing on this team that's a good question who's the best passer on this team i guess delhi would be now but outside of delhi who's the best passer hood yeah probably Oof. i mean kevin love when he's healthy yeah yeah um and obviously not having love has sort of I'd be very interested to see how he fits back into this group uh, once he returns uh but matthew delvadova it's good to see him back playing i mean he got caught in a little bit of a numbers crunch in milwaukee i think they were wise not to play him with this group obviously milwaukee's playing very well but delhi is an nba quality backup point guard he certainly got overpaid uh and then last year was really totally ruined by injury and he but he actually was able to do his usual brand of getting into the lane and passing it every single time larry nance will be a good alley-oop partner for him hit three threes in a row uh, against philly in the fourth quarter uh, so he, he looked like the same guy out there pretty much um one thing that did show up against philly though is that outside of del vadova i think cleveland probably has the worst defensive guards in the league is there any other team that you would say is like competition for them i mean you could put nawab is in there but he's basically playing the four at this point and yeah, it's a it's a rough group. I mean, every once in a while, and Jetty's mostly playing the three, so you you even yeah. kind of have to separate him. Yeah, too. He's, I mean, he's so he's Clark, been starting at the four with Nawaba out. I think they're going to bring Nawaba back yeah. into the starting lineup now. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're talking like Sexton and Hood and Jordan Clarkson. Not exactly. Well, uh, when Atlanta row. starts, Trey Young and Kevin Herter, uh, it, it's probably yeah. them. Uh, but you know, when healthy, they've got Bazemore, they've got Prince. Like those guys are a, a little bit better. Uh, yeah, no one else really comes to mind as being competition for them just having like terrible defensive guards last thing on them the crowd in there is just absolutely dead i mean even when they went on like a 12-0 run in that game over the weekend against philly to like get back into it there was just like it seemed like no reaction i mean and i would feel the same way right i mean the second time now like you can't even be mad that lebron left anymore now it's just like why would you feel any emotion <laughs> at this point uh am i remembering correctly that that they tried to get like multi-year commitments for season tickets and all that before last season 
with kind of this idea. I can't remember if that happened, but I believe it did, which I mean, if we're talking about it from a true revenue generation standpoint is a good idea, but that also can sometimes sap the enthusiasm if these people like committed to these tickets with the hope that LeBron was going to be there and then no. Yeah. And I'm guessing that Goodyear sponsorship, they were like blowing the ink dry on that as soon as it got signed too, when LeBron was still there. Uh, I'm, I don't know the exact terms of that, but I'm guessing uh, if Goodyear signed that, hoping that LeBron was still going to be there over the three-year commitment or whatever it is, uh, uh, that was unlikely. Before we turn to Chicago, I want to tell you about Everlane, which is really just a fantastic company, both in terms of their quality and their transparency, which I really appreciate. They tell you what their costs are. They want you to know what you're paying for and why. They tell you about the ethical factories that they work with, and they sell directly to you. So their prices are 30 to 50% lower than traditional retailers. And they're selling essentials, but it's all really high quality. So their clothes ultimately look better, cost less, and last longer. If you go to everlane.com slash capspace, you can actually see the stuff uh, that I picked out. Came just in time for my honeymoon, so I got a lot of summer stuff. My wife really liked uh, the shorts that I got from them. And she doesn't just say that because she's my wife. I have plenty of articles of clothing that she absolutely hates. I have this one like highlighter yellow sport shirt that she just can't stand that I'm not allowed to wear anymore now, except when I work out by myself. But no one will be saying that about you if you get your clothes from Everlane. Again, check out everlane.com slash capspace. That can get you free shipping on your first order. Everlane.com slash capspace. Easier on slash capspace since we talk about it all the time on the program. And let them know with that slash capspace URL that you came from us. The Bulls have had an odd go of it in a way which kind of makes things look a little bit better than they are. They had that crazy comeback when they were down 20 in San Antonio around halftime, came back and actually won that game. Chris Dunn hit some mid-rangers late in the game, and they at least look a little bit better out there with a real NBA point guard. They also had a nice win at home against Oklahoma City. Those are the two of the Boylan era. And, but during the Boylan era, they have a negative 16.5 net rating, right? And so if you think of like their true quality is 16.5, negative 16.5, they're always going to bounce around there. And so it just so happened that they're bouncing on the positive side got them a couple of close wins but they have just had I mean Casey Johnson is he doesn't tweet it now unless it's a 30 point deficit but uh he tweets that plenty (laughs) and then uh 40 point and even 50 point deficit alert going back to that Boston game so they have had some games where they've just absolutely gotten blown out negative 10.8 net rating on the season per cleaning the glass that doesn't include garbage time that's 29th in the league 30th in offense this is a, a team you remember at the start of the year danny we're like okay you know people are talking playoffs here like how's the way they could possibly succeed well maybe they'd have passable defense somehow and then like their offense will be really good right they have they don't have a ton of passing but they got market and admittedly he's been out levine parker like maybe those three guys can really like push him up to like a top half of the league offense so 30th especially i mean yeah guys have been out but they also just don't have nba quality depth at point guard uh at power forward and or or i should say small forward and that depth now does not include jabari parker signed by management to play small forward we were always highly skeptical of that the coaching staff clearly believes that bobby portis and marketing are far better options at parker's natural power forward position they don't want to play him at small forward because they got justin holiday and chandler hutchinson so it's not like those are such luminaries if parker could deliver anything at small forward he would clearly be playing there but he unfortunately cannot and now he's out of the rotation and the bulls are looking for 
potential trades so the question to you danny here is where the hell is jabari going to end up if anywhere uh, uh it's already fait accompli that that team option for 20 million for next year is going to get declined probably wherever he ends up going but you know another team yeah if, he, I, if it works out maybe could resign him for less uh but is there anywhere he can go at this point it's it's tough and there is a big parallel here to my frustrations with how Phoenix handled the Austin Rivers trade in that the greatest piece of value that the Bulls have with Jabari Parker is if they want to take on money. You know, outside of that... Oh, no, they, they can't take on money. They're going to get, like, a ton of free agents this offseason. Yeah, they're going to get Kawhi and KD, so they're going to have to trade Cristiano Felicio and all these other things. And, and, that, and there's always the allure of, like, what cap space can be. But really, that's where Jabari provides the most value. And there are circumstances you could create... I mean, because there are some horrendous contracts around the league where even even with a, an expiring one where maybe you get like if you could make Jabari a five million dollar player, maybe a team could sell themselves on that. But that also gets to a weird point of, well, would that team really be falling all over themselves to do that? Like it, it, Those are the, those are trades that are actually really hard to do just because then you have to calibrate pretty closely or and, and Chicago, you know. The, the guys who were where you make him a five million dollar player so like if a guy's just 15 million and is basically dead money most of those guys like that's a hard pitch to do for for various reasons and so my instinct is that what happens with him is that he just gets bought out at some point i, I and maybe then he goes to a, a team but that that has a smaller role or something like that but i don't know i i feel like this year just is going to be a lost season for him unfortunately yeah and this is uh, still you know he's less than one year away from the return for the second tour in acl and, and it is if this is kind of it for him it, as a, a player who's having a role in the league that would be a shame because i think he actually was playing really well before the second acl tear and he's clearly just has not been as explosive since then. i mean he was even when he came back he was getting up for like some pretty nasty dunks i mean there, he really i don't think he's had like any big dunks this year at all you know i mean he used to be like on the highlight reels with some of those dunks and so he's just not the same athletically you know he hasn't looked incredibly svelte to me either but you know i mean this is set up he's in his hometown this is a team that really wanted him to succeed granted you know and i'm sorry if you can't beat out bobby portis at power forward portis is not that good uh you know to even like have a role on this squad i mean clearly you know he's just not that good of a player uh so I mean, he's been talked about with the Jazz. Like, people floated that he'd get traded for Derek Favors. The Jazz would be completely insane to do that. Absolutely insane. Like, Derek Favors is one of the better backup centers in the league. Still starts at power forward. I mean, you know, if you think you can rehab Jabari, like, just wait until he gets waived or sign him for nothing in free agency next year. You know, I mean, obviously he's linked to... And is the, and is the argument that he's going to really up their ceiling this year when you're bringing him in on the fly and he's already basically admitted that he doesn't get paid to play defense? Yeah, uh, yeah, that, that's not good. I mean, I'm not really... You know, again, maybe he can come in. He still really hasn't gotten, like, great coaching at any point in his career. We did see that he, like, defended for two games last year. He has been atrocious this year defensively. I mean, just his transition defense is a complete joke. I mean, he just gets totally turned around. He has zero help instincts. It's been a little better on the boards, at least. But, yeah, it's just, uh, it's been really bad. I mean, can you think of any team that even could, like, use him as, like, a scoring backup power forward? Maybe, like, the Magic, I guess? Yeah, maybe. I mean, we've talked about how Atlanta needs depth basically everywhere on the forward line, especially with Torian Prince out. Maybe he give them a little something. 
I mean, Philly just needs players, but not really what he's going to be bringing. They don't need more usage on this team. Yeah, I wouldn't say that they do. New Orleans as like a forward for when Randall and Miritich are, are inevitably hurt all the time. It's just yeah, like, like he's losing. not he's not like the kind of guy you can bring in. It's just like, all right, we need a body here who's not going to screw things up. Like if he's not well, scoring, he's useless. And because he's a straight four and a limited defensive one at that, positional scarcity isn't really that good an argument for him because you can get a six foot eight guy who doesn't do a lot on defense like that. That isn't as hard to find as like these two way guys, which are impossible to find. A couple other quick notes. Uh, Zach Levine, supposedly his ankle injury isn't considered serious. He probably injured it actually going for a garbage time layup down six. I think it was against the magic with like two seconds left. He just went in for the stat pad layup and like landed awkwardly on his ankle. It sounds like it's actually on the medial side, the interior of the ankle which can be a little bit trickier and he's got fluid and swelling in the ankle and he's kind of week to week now uh rather than day to day so the the chances of getting a chance to to look at all of this core has not been great Uh, larry marketin in his time back obviously had that elbow injury you would imagine that it would take some time to regain his shooting stroke overall his numbers for the season 48 percent true shooting not great and that's with 28 percent usage so he's really been dragging down the offense from downtown Markinen is at 35 percent so it's really his two-point shooting uh that's been horrendous under 40 percent from two yeah under 40 percent on 10 per game and we'll see i i'm i'm expecting that it'll get better because last year he shot 68 percent at the basket he's at 48 percent so far this year so i think that could really help him and then his mid-ranger has just been absolutely broke he's about 20 percent on mid-rangers this year the charlotte hornets 14 and 15 a disastrous weekend they blew a big lead to the knicks it looked like that game was going to be over in the first half the knicks then proceeded to go home and lose by 20 to the suns on monday and then they got totally blown out by the lakers which was the one lakers win Win on their four game Eastern trip, the Lakers proceeded to lose badly and give up a 40 point game to John Wall. And then they got beat by the Nets tonight. So losing both of those games, not good. 14 and 15, down to a 2.4 net rating. They had been like well over three for a time. That's still eighth in the NBA, uh, amazingly enough. Sixth ranked offense, 16th ranked defense. They project for 39 wins. A big part of that, I actually went on the BuzzBeat podcast last Thursday, had a real nice conversation about the Hornets with uh, Spencer Percy, who is our guest uh, for the Hornets preview every year. Uh, and uh, the guys there, uh, they're real knowledgeable about the hornets i I recommend you listen to that one if you want some more hornets talk here um but they were noting that yeah they have a 2.4 net rating so you would think all right you're gonna play at a 2.4 net rating the rest of the year you're gonna project for over 500 but the problem is they've actually had a very easy schedule so far they haven't had a western swing yet so that's why they project uh for that 39 wins that's still tied for seventh though and they have 61 percent chance of making the playoffs so where'd you want to yeah and i I believe that i believe that 61 percent dropped precipitously because of the win that washington had because it's basically like it's those it looks like it's kind of those three teams that 538 trust and i think they went like from 70 something to 61 which is pretty ridiculous detroit and yeah the hornets the the triumvirate the the nets are uh, the nets are getting back into things just a little bit here yeah i think that also is something that knocked into knocked in their chances too is that the nets and the magic are and the and the heat those teams are in the mix too but so the first thing i want to start with and i i enjoy like putting in thinking about something and putting in a 
project, even if it ends up being that my theory isn't right. And so I have this idea and I still stand by parts of it that Kemba Walker just looks tired in crunch time. He has to occupy such a large role. I don't like that he's playing eight minutes per fourth quarter. So that means that in the end of games, and remember that's an average. So in a blowout, either direction, he's probably playing fewer than that and something else. Not that they, I don't think they have that many blots. But anyway, so Kemba, I looked at his shooting and usage by quarter so far this year. By far, his best quarter has been the fourth. 65% true shooting on 36 usage, though they have been outscored in fourth quarters because the Hornets must stay on brand. That said, as strong as he's been in fourth quarters, his numbers in a smaller sample size that is crunch time, he's at 55% true shooting on on the still ridiculous 44 usage in crunch time this year. And so maybe it is that this, so he's putting up numbers in the other part of it, which they all still count. And I'm not, I'm not knocking that at all. It's just that it's a little bit different. But I want to keep an eye on that because he just has so much to do on this team and playing him a majority of the fourth quarter when you know that he's going to be, you know, the definitive piece for them in the last five minutes of a game is close. Like maybe in those circumstances, they should give him either a longer break, an extra break, something like that. Yeah. The other thing that you noted is that think, since he sprained his ankle against New Orleans, his numbers have taken a pretty big dip. And this, I don't think, yeah, no, I think this does include the weekend, right? It does. Yeah. That, it does include it. And so yeah, he was averaging 27 and six on 44% shooting that's from the field before the ankle sprain. And then after 18.7, and seven assists on 32% from the field, including 28% from three. Now, I think some of that is just being in a slump, but it didn't help. And last year, he was kind of between those two numbers. You know, the ridiculous start that he had, that would be overperforming it a little bit. Just on usage, he was taking and making more threes, everything like that. But he's also way better than he's been the last two weeks. I wanted to focus in on Malik Monk, number 11 overall pick last year, famously taken the pick before Luke Kennard, who was taking the pick before Donovan Mitchell. (laughs) And I watched a lot of what Monk is doing. The big number that really sticks out as concerning in his development, he was closing some games early, but you know, that has not really been the case of late. Pick and roll ball handler, 38 points on 63 possessions finished by either a shot or a turnover. And Monk, he has passed the ball better. I'll get to that than you might think, but still, that's not his. He's no Ricky Rubio, Matthew Dellavedova. Like he's running a pick and roll to score the ball. And 0.6 points per possession, that is really, really bad. And what's dragging that down? When he doesn't take a jumper off the dribble out of pick and roll, so when he gets in for either a floater or a layup, he's 3 of 18 from the field. He just has, despite being a pretty athletic guy, he has very little feel for finishing around the rim. It's just one speed, fast as you can. He doesn't really have a great idea for when shot blockers are in the area. He, He had plays where he just got completely swallowed up by josh richardson where it just like gets spiked back on his head just like no way you even should have attempted it there are a couple other ones and these are plays that i think kent Bazemore got him one time like the guys who are not like you know rudy gobert back there so the jumper not as bad he's eight out of 25 for a 42 percent effective field goal percentage most effective shooting the three-pointer going to his right out of pick and roll with the pick and roll starting on the left side of the floor not as comfortable going to his left there and again when he gets penetration it doesn't look good though he has been passing it better than expected he actually passes more out of the pick and roll than he's shooting and again you know he's not the number one option so a lot of times guys like that are usually will be pretty tunnel vision i liked what i saw with him 
when he can get penetration finding the role man you know he had a good chemistry with Hernan Gomez when he's in there good chemistry with Zeller through some nice passes those guys especially out of side pick and roll outside of the fact that he doesn't have much craft finishing at the rim I'd also say that it, his problem is he's not able to get great separation at the point of attack and a lot of that is you know Cody Zeller is actually a very accomplished screener Hernan Gomez is a good offensive player he's a, a solid screener played in Europe usually those European big men know the dark arts from screening a little bit better than their American counterparts when they're young but he's just not good at get manipulating his man into position and making sure that he runs into the screen curling tight off the shoulder of the screener really getting downhill so his own man usually when he comes off the pick is like right on him and when that's the case you just that's why he's getting it blocked by the on-ball man as I mentioned and he's not able to put the pressure on the defense and force the big into a decision or just to get to his open three-pointer either so that lack of craft you know little in and out dribbles to get to where he wants to go on the floor that I think is holding him back to some degree as well but the biggest thing to me is just that like you know it's all one speed one way not as good of a one-foot leaper as a two-foot leaper either so you know he's not able to go into the room and get fouled and so like an offense was supposed to be the good side of the ball for a month and it's just it's not really happening he has been better as a spot-up guy has been a solid transition player but to live up to that draft slot I mean he's just unless he's going to turn into like a Wayne Ellington JJ Redick type and he's not like that kind of a shooter you know he's more of a volume guy than just an automatic knockdown dude it's more kind of like you know he can get his shot off more off the dribble I mean that's where you really saw him shine shooting jumpers off the dribble in college when he'd go off for those big games so I I definitely have a level of concern about him I mean is there anything that you can add uh, about his offense Danny I mean aside from the fact that his defense you know has been middling at best yeah middling at best is being polite I I will will want to mention that Monk is young like he turns 21 in a few months and maybe some skill development because an important point is that unless his jump shot gets way way better there just isn't enough value that he's providing in other areas you know his passing as you said there there's some bright spots there but he's he doesn't have positional size particularly well he doesn't have have really the instincts or the wherewithal at that point and so you think about how amazing lou williams is at what he does yeah and that last year was you know a remarkable high water mark not only for lou williams but for basically any player like lou williams and then you think about okay well if that's what it takes to get to be like six minutes a year to get something like that the drop off from anything lower than that is pretty severe in terms of the value you're providing to an nba team and that was always kind of my my concern about monk the the idea was that he has to do these things well it's not like a lot of other players where it's like oh this is a bonus it was all required for him yeah and i mean when we just did our shooting guard rankings he was like so far down the list that you couldn't even see him some good well, news well in this yeah. on what oh, you're gonna think you're gonna do what i was gonna do well okay so uh, we'll see if this ends up being it or not some good news for at least our own amusement the southeast division with this latest hornets demise is projected to have a champion with 39 wins the wizards and hornets both projected for 39 wins and you got the magic and the heat 36 and 35 respectively so i don't know about someone from the southeast not making the playoffs thing that's that's gonna have to happen i think and then also what's crazy is the top five in the east you know the fifth seed is gonna be 49 wins right now with the pacers the sixth seed is gonna be under 500 40 and 42 is what's projected right now and really that wouldn't shock me so you wonder like oh man how is it that all these west teams there's like 14 teams in the west that are decent and like you know they're pretty close to neutral point differential well 
that's because 10 of the 15 teams in the east have like a negative net rating it's uh, or, or are projected to finish with a negative net rating and that is obviously quite atrocious no the silver lining i was going to bring up is that the hornets are no longer last in the league in terms of luck or pr- performance relative to point differential they're now 29th because they got this is such a weird thing they got beaten so thoroughly by the lakers that it lowered their net rating enough that their expected win total changed the margin so now the jazz are dead last in that so congratulations charlotte yay so three teams left here i want to do a quick plug again for us and our patreon patreon.com slash duncan larue where not only can you support the nba cast and our efforts here but also with trade season coming up we're going to update the patreon as quickly as we possibly can usually within an hour or so of any transactions that occur so you can see what the salary situations for those teams look like going forward. I think we're the fastest, basically, of anyone who, who's doing that. And you also get our weekly mailbag. I'm sorry, that is not true. Monthly mailbag. And it, especially, you know, I've been listening to some of these other basketball podcasts, and they've got like an ad every 10 minutes, and they're hitting you with the pre-recorded pre-roll and, and all this. Like, you know, so we generally, two ads per show, maybe three if it's a super long one. So I hope that you guys uh, will appreciate that. Uh, especially when uh, other podcasts are kind of going more the way of radio and monetizing a lot more. We're trying to keep it a little bit more limited, and we hope also that you uh, will support our sponsors as a result. Let's turn now to the Brooklyn Nets, 14-18, and six-game win streak. Jared Dudley was unbelievable tonight uh, as he put on an absolute clinic in old man basketball in the fourth quarter he had three uncontested drives to the rim where he just completely fooled the lakers the lakers were getting carved up by d'angelo russell who had a career high 13 assists and so they decided to go small javel mcgee was out as well they spent probably the last 15 minutes or so of the game just uh, with kuzma and lebron brennan ingram was out too so they were trying to switch everything it's interesting lakers lineup actually most of the time you know they had Svi out there but most of the time it was hart kcp lonzo kuzma and lebron it was actually what i thought would be one of their better lineups maybe throw ingram in there uh, for one of the for lonzo perhaps uh or uh for kuzma but the nets were able to score pretty well in part because dudley is just so smart he was slipping screens he was faking dho's getting to the rim he was faking a handoff and then he drained uh, the game clinching long two with his foot barely on the line over lebron i just like really really enjoyed his game and so many people are like oh man jared dudley like why is he playing he's fat you know and and his cancer that's certainly uh what he would say but like the guy actually helps win basketball games and i was pretty impressed uh with what he was able to do against the lakers russell was great in the pick and roll but when it went to the switching defense he did hit a three over kuzma which was bad defense like kuzma should have made it put it on the floor but anytime he was made to put it on the floor he was pretty much powerless to score against that switching defense that was always my big problem with him is he just can't get separation one-on-one when people were talking about him being a big star but you know still had, had a good game he forced the lakers out of uh, their normal pick and roll coverage um yeah what were well, we and he's any he, and he, his three-point shooting i mean going four of nine from three he's at 37 percent for the season which is which is still encouraging and he, that's such a mandatory part for him when he's not really creating reliable separation so yeah I, I was happy to see russell have a good game against his former team we should also mention that jared allen had that really nice 
block on a LeBron dunk. I, I love Jared Allen because he has the right approach to these things of just basically, I, I think he said before, like, it'll be a highlight either way. And as long as you don't get in foul trouble, and he only had three in this game, totally on board with that, though he did only play 20 minutes, because partially because of the lineups the Lakers were throwing out there. It just wasn't yeah. as much of a place I, for him. I think it would have been more exciting if he tried to take the charge. I think that's what we should be encouraging. Yes, yes, that is exactly what we should be encouraging. Uh, but but the thing that I want to go through, because people ask us my, our opinions, I actually wrote about it in depth on The Athletic as well, but we rec- we didn't record a dunked on after Spencer Dinwiddie signed his extension, which is a truly fascinating thing for the Nets and for Dinwiddie himself. He's only made about $5 million in his career. I think it's $5.5 million before this year. Signs a three-year, about 30, I think it's 34, 35 million. So the largest contract of his career by a mile and a half. But why this is so important is because Brooklyn has pretty fastidiously maintained their spending power for the summer of 2019. That's been something that they've done. You know, like they, sure, they could theoretically lose a lot of that by keeping D'Angelo Russell's hold on or paying him a bunch of money, something like that. But they haven't added new money to their books very much at all. And now because of the structure, while Dinwiddie would have been an unrestricted free agent, he's making his minimum this year and they would have had full bird rights. So they could have done an exaggerated version of what they did with Joe Harris of giving him a bunch of money, but waiting until they did their other things. And instead, his $1.6 million cap hold or thereabouts was replaced by $10.6 million in salary. I like the move, though. I, I think, number one, you could always trade him, and especially you could trade him around draft time, and he would still count as his previous amount. This isn't a rookie extension. So unless you can correct me if I'm wrong here, I don't think I am, that because it's not a rookie extension, you can just trade him at his previous number up until the draft, uh, and then he would just pop up to the new number with another team. Am I wrong about that? I think you're right. I'm not 100% sure. It was something that I wasn't sure enough to include in the piece for The Athletic, but that is my interpretation of it because like so for example i did that oladipo piece and that the byc issue was the reason why they they couldn't really base your compensation so his salary counted differently because he was getting such a big raise and it was off a rookie extension counted differently for the thunder and for the pacers my interpretation of the rule for base year compensation that it does not apply in this circumstance because it is not a rookie scale extension so that is very interesting for them this is more in the mold of the josh richardson one even though dinwiddie has been in the NBA longer than Josh Richardson had. It's just structure is very similar. And so then, yeah, so it's 10.6 million for 1920, 11.5, then 12.3. And what you were talking about in terms of trading him, I think is a very compelling point. And it's something I brought up because I actually went into the longest written thing I've ever done on the Nene test. And basically the reason behind that is because this is actually a pretty similar situation. Nay signed in December of that year because of the lockout. But he was traded, you know, pretty early into that contract because it was seen around the league as being a reasonable value deal. And Spencer Dinwiddie at about 11, 12 million a year for only three seasons. Like, that's a really good number for him. That's backup money. And maybe he's a backup. Maybe he's a starter. So if you can get a a questionable starter, you know, possibly there at, I think he's age 25 or somewhere around there. I mean, I'd be thrilled to, you know, if he might be starting for the Nets next year. That's a value deal. I mean, last year, oh yeah, uh, uh, I ranked him basically right around number fifteen point guard in the league, and so it's interesting that it's a three-year deal instead of four-year. That was framed, of course, as oh, gives him a chance to get back into free agency. 
Well, and, and another piece that helps that argument is that it is structured where that final $12.3 million is a player option. Yeah. So theoretically, he could be a free agent in the summer of 2021. And by making it a player option, then the uh, that does give him a lot more power than Dinwiddie would have otherwise. Yeah, and right now, uh, Dinwiddie at age... This is age 25 season. He's shooting it well from three. Deep three, he is an improved passer. That's actually something Ben Taylor's been talking a lot about it is his passing. His two-point shooting has gone way up now. He's 56% this year, and a lot of that is getting to the rim, finishing better. He's pretty explosive off the dribble. And so, I mean, I think this is going to be an excellent value. I think the Nets did well. He was going to get a bigger offer than this. I think, like, I would rather have him than Terry Rozier. Definitely. Like, I would, I think he easily could have gotten, I mean, Rozier has the pedigree, he's been in the playoffs, blah, blah, blah. But, I mean, Dinwiddie is so much better offensively, and he's got more size than Rozier, too. Rozier's probably still better defensively, but, uh, so I'm, uh, I think this is great value for the Nets, and good for Dinwiddie, you know, to sort of eliminate some risk and then still he can get back on the market when he's 27 get one more pretty big deal hopefully uh, by exercising that player option or he gets some security if something were to go wrong from an injury standpoint and you'll recall of course that that acl that he tore in college really set back probably the first two two and a half years of his career uh, when he was wallowing with the pistons and the bulls also could have some big ripple effects we're going to be speculating because we we don't know i don't have any source reporting on it about how this affects the nets and their philosophy moving forward so the first place to start with this is that the nets deliberately gave up nine million in cap space for the 2019 does this change their tactics for point guards or otherwise and should it they so as a point of reference now they have about 26 million in spending not including draft picks which they have their own and they have denver's if denver makes the playoffs which it looks like like they will and they could by clearing d'angelo russell and ronnie hollis jefferson they would have to do both of them they could get up to 50 million so they could really clear some space that doesn't include anything like strict alan crab or something like that but so they can have some real money to spend this nine million does make a tangible difference for them but as you said if you're doing it to create a value contract i think there's a pretty solid argument for it especially because dinwiddie would have been unrestricted which is just a massive difference from having match rights absolutely and, and if you think about what the nets have been able to cobble together out of basically nothing at this point i mean dinwiddie was based free talent essentially and they got him on a minimum deal with two extra non-guaranteed seasons and now they're able to leverage that into what will probably be another value contract as well they're able to pick up uh jared allen with uh the number 22 pick joe harris another guy who's just completely freely available he's got 64 percent true shooting you know he's been a, a quality player for them karis lavert they got him for trading thaddeus young and now i mean they're looking like they could be you know a 35 win team maybe even get to 40 if they keep playing like this i, I don't think that'll happen but you know they've been a really quality offense uh 13th in the nba they've a little higher than that on the traditional stats because they, they've done well in garbage time so uh i've been impressed uh, with what they've been able to do uh roddy Kurok's another guy who's 61 percent true shooting you know looking pretty good as a 20 year old rookie and this summer it's going to be interesting right i mean it, it, how does this team take the next step well you know now they're not going to get probably some big talent in the draft unless, unless they get really lucky or uh draft really well again russell for 
the, he's definitely been a much better passer this year but you know he's still 51 percent true shooting 30 percent usage and yeah okay people are trying to tell me his defense was better uh sure sure as all didn't see that in the laker game and he was just getting destroyed by whoever was on him he just gave up like an incredibly easy back cut dunk to lonzo when he was just guarding nobody he was like sort of shading over to lebron but didn't really wasn't really having an effect there and you know lebron just went right through him like he was a piece of tissue paper that happens to a lot of players but like russell did the oh i guess he knocked me backwards i'm gonna just like continue backpedaling and like fall out past the baseline like you know he didn't he's, he just doesn't compete defensively so i think dinwiddie is way better than russell his stats have been way better than russell this year he's way better defensively he actually gets to the foul line russell 12 percent free throw rate dinwiddie is 39 percent free throw rate dinwiddie's 61 percent true shooting so far and yeah those guys can play together but they also you know Karis LeVert I think has looked better than Russell as well and obviously Russell with that 21 million dollar cap hold you know I could see them maybe bring him back if they strike out in free agency but I'd rather even maybe just go for if you're gonna have to pay him over 15 million a year I'd probably rather just go for someone who can help them get better defensively they're not gonna have the two full max slots anymore in free agency I don't think that's the end of the world I think that was a pipe dream and as we get closer and closer it just seems like you know who, who are the max free agents who are going to move maybe butler maybe Kawhi. you know Kawhi seems it's either like toronto or the clippers is what it seems like it's going to be there and butler you know doesn't seem there's some talk that he might want to go to the nets but you know now philly has him and they're going to have the financial advantage clay thompson is probably going to stay put kd seems set on the knicks if he is going to go to new york at least you know he, so i mean there's really nobody has been linked to this team in the slightest and so yeah they have all that cap space but i think they did a great job of seizing the opportunity with dinwiddie and if they really are desperate they could always like stretch someone stretch allen crab and open up two max slots again yeah or they could find a ticker for joe harris there, there are ways they yeah. can clear that little bit of extra money if they have to other than Dev- darren williams because you can't move stretched money that's part of the reason why i don't like teams doing it unnecessarily not that i'm criticizing the nets for it but the other thing with with russell what they might end up doing so his qualifying offer is pretty high nine million but i don't think that he will you know that he'll he will just like run around and take that right away so the nets could just wield that as an advantage just say you know like hey if you get a great offer we're probably not going to match it but you have to actually do it and if he can't pull that you know high-end money maybe you bring him back on the idea of it being a value contract or something else but my expectation would be that especially with Dinwiddie locked in and in the fold that they can do better with the cap space that is D'Angelo Russell's cap hold I think they can do better with that space than him sure so they could just be sitting there like on July 3rd or July 4th this is sort of like what happened with Kelly Olynyk a little bit though Boston wanted to bring him back more which is just oh crap we got Gordon Hayward better use of our cap space now you're an unrestricted free agent like that could absolutely happen with D'Angelo Russell so maybe they get a a forward that just is a better fit for where this team is going or something like that at 15 20 million whatever it is and then they're like well we'd rather have that guy than D'Angelo yeah. Russell and th- that I, I could be the way them, this results. I could see them bringing Russell back on kind of a you know maybe a, a two or a three-year deal you know maybe mm-hmm. like a three minus one type of thing but we'll see maybe someone will fall in love with him in, in restricted free agency yeah, too they absolutely could and he has the pedigree like the players like D'Angelo Russell have gotten paid more than we would like in the past like I, you could say Harrison Barnes is kind of an example of this like a guy who had where the teams saw more and and point guard is a position of need like let's say orlando like i could see orlando being like well crap he's the he's the best we can do and going and going harder for him maybe than terry rozier who they think boston might match or something else 
Speaking of Boston, 18 and 11. Uh, actually, we'll do the, the Nets fundamentals briefly. Uh, overall, 14 and 18 have won six straight, six and two in their last eight. Negative 0.9 net rating is 22nd in the NBA. That 13th ranked offense, 22nd ranked defense. I mean, it really seems like that's where they have to get better. They should be very happy to be 13th in offense, though, although they play a lot of very offense heavy lineups, uh, including tonight where they're playing Hollis Jefferson at center. And they project for 36 wins, tied for ninth, and 37% chance at the playoffs uh boston by contrast 18 and 11 5 and 1 that only lost at detroit in kind of that weird game up to a 6.9 net rating that's fifth in the nba they're actually like if you told me at the start of the year that right now they'd have a 6.9 net rating they've been a little unlucky i mean that's right about where you would think they would be right especially with uh horford's injury concerns so far uh 12th ranked offense that is much much better than it was i mean there was a time when you know, almost the first month of the season they're 27 they've basically been first ever since that time i think i think since the very moment that smart ironically enough went into the starting lineup they've been first in the nba or close to it uh and then they've dropped a little bit defensively to third you know part of that number one defense was built on like uh really cold shooting from opponents and they uh project for second in the conference 55 wins and they will in fact make the playoffs what do you make of uh al horford uh missing six straight now with that knee this is the right approach you need to you know you've articulated this well before if you just take some of the strain off get it right because boston even more so than indiana like they're looking at the long game here they're they want to play into june and so horford you want to get it all the way right now and then i think they should be planning on giving him another extended rest at some point before the end of the regular season and i'm i'm so happy that they're doing this and they've been you know successful the only loss you said they had is is the one against the detroit pistons a game they absolutely could have won i would argue they should have won and they've been getting part of how they've been able to succeed is better minutes from daniel tice i like daniel tice i think that he's a a capable you know kind of backup center can shoot the ball you know and rebounds you know does enough of the stuff i i would worry about him as a starter he did start in wins over the bulls and pelicans during the win streak and scored 22 in that bulls game but overall since he started getting regular rotation minutes nine points four rebounds in about 17 minutes per game and 44 percent on a three and a half per game Kyrie Irving, for all the initial hand-wringing about his game early in the season, it's really amazing. He is within 2% of the percentage of attempts that he shot from every zone last year, whether it's at the rim. He's actually up a little bit now at the rim, uh, about 2% more than last year. And the field goal percentage is right about the same as well. A little bit lower, 62% at the rim this year. Last year, he was a career-high 65%, but he's shooting as well as other from time downtown again over 40 percent on the ridiculously difficult attempts uh he's been a, a fantastic offensive player for them and actually nearly a career high in assist percentage as well assisting on uh 33.9 estimated of uh boston's buckets when he's on the floor their big eight game winning streak uh, that ended in detroit they had a 21.4 net rating helped by that absolute housing of the bulls 124 offensive rating during that uh interesting Interestingly, Horford has missed some time there. Liam pulled some of these stats for us, our director of Insight and Foresight. They were 23rd in offensive rebounding before this 
streak and they were second during it uh and there was a worry all right they're not taking enough shots at the rim they're not getting in the line that hasn't changed at all they're just actually making shots now uh they only have two guys who've been below 40 percent from three during that eight game winning streak uh every regular rotation player other than marcus smart was 59 percent true shooting or above and gordon hayward good to see him scoring a little bit better again you know a lot of that's just the the jump shot going down a, a little bit he's shooting 60 percent from three during that streak but he is also averaging 5.2 assists uh, which is nice so do you think that they have solved their issues now are they the team that we thought they're gonna be they are right back in there good as chance as anyone of getting to the nba finals in the regular season yeah, I, I I think that you know their offense was never as bad as it looked early, and other than some shooting early on, it made it a little bit unsustainable. Their defense is fantastic. We we've known that for a long time now, and they have enough depth to and and Brad Stevens is a great coach to withstand a lot of the other ups and downs that happen for for seasons. And I Marcus Smart in the regular season and arguably in the playoffs, we'll have to see. Is you know he he really does bring a different energy, and I, I think he's a part of their defensive rebounding getting. better better because and he just plays his energy is incredible and they benefit kind of like oklahoma city and a few these other teams when smarts out there with their there are ways that you can kind of counter some of what they do but it's really hard to do that in a regular season setting because you teams don't put in specific game plans you don't really go through those d- detailed x's nose because that's just not the way the nba works and it also makes their second unit so much more viable and that that i think is real you know that that gordon hayward and jalen brown jalen brown's done so much better you know he was he had 21 a game coming off the bench for those first three and then he was sick and he just hasn't been as good since we'll see what part of that is 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 accurate and reflective and all that so but i think my my concern with them still is Kyrie notwithstanding because he's completely ridiculous and he can score on anybody just like the theory of their offense against teams that just say okay everybody but Kyrie has to beat us and like remember think about the superior personnel of like teams that make it far enough in the playoffs I'm still a little bit concerned about that they're absolutely in the mix but I don't know I I I had them I believe god we had this weird conversation back when it happened I think I had them like either even with Toronto or I had maybe one or the two slightly ahead because I just didn't see the bucks coming to this degree and right now i would have boston behind those teams though it's not very far behind i like them against everyone against uh, except toronto and i think if they could somehow get home court over toronto i'd probably pick them over toronto and part of that's still based on hoping that hayward is going to continue to improve that horford you know he's 32 this year so he could just this could be a step back for him that's not getting any better but that his knee is going to improve that he can especially defensively be the force that he was in the last couple of playoffs in particular so and we'll see i mean i do think they need a a little bit more i can't wait to see Kyrie in the playoffs for this team though and see him really uh go off and see if he can push it to be you know now a consensus guy who i mean i think there's a very clear top seven in the nba right now but at the very least you know can he push clearly ahead into the area that's just below that group or maybe even push his way into that group with an incredible playoff run all right we can finish things up here with the atlanta hawks their fundamentals please mr Leroux. oh you didn't want to take that pain the hawks though they they did win tonight they are seven and 23 two and five since the last time we did them their negative 12.2 net rating is last in the league they are now yay second to last in offense 101.3 and 28th in defense 113.6 538 projects them to win 20 games which would be not only bottom of the east but also bottom of the entire league and their playoff odds are infinitesimal they're yeah and so i think the place that i want to start with this and 
and there are definitely some positives and we'll talk about some of those as well but to me when i watch them and i didn't watch much of their game tonight is that they're they're the worst team in the league when every every team is at full strength or close to it because you think about teams like chicago and cleveland and all those teams that are missing guys i'm phoenix is phoenix has missed devin booker so much of the year but i don't think that that's a bad thing because so many of the other teams towards the bottom put so much more effort and money into trying this season the hawks know what they are they've embraced it they're developing young players i've liked a lot of what lloyd pierce has done and so when i say that i think they're the worst team in the league i I, i'm kind of weirdly smiling when i say it because that's in a way what they wanted though i wouldn't say that they're actively tanking i just feel a little bit better if trey young were shooting even like a semi-passable number on threes i mean 24 percent like that is that's a bad enough number that you're like man like maybe he's just never gonna get there with his shooting right like you know even if you were like 31 or 32 percent you could be like all right you know it's he's taking pretty tough shots off the dribble and you know but like 24 percent is such an an atrocious number and i've liked most of what else i've seen from him at least on the offensive end of the floor despite uh, uh, you know aside from that three-pointer just not going down uh, there also are starting kevin herter as well and i think part of why they've been so bad too danny is just they're clearly not starting their best lives i mean they were starting amari spellman at the four before collins came back herter has had some moments we could talk about that but you know he's not as good as kent basemore uh, Bazemore, I think, is back in the starting lineup now with uh, Prince being out. But, uh, you know, D- Dwayne Deadman might be better than Alex Len as well. But, you know, Len is under contract next year and Deadman is not. Let's talk more about Herter, though. Just the, the overall stats first off 57% true shooting, a 10 PR, very low usage, 13% usage, and still turns it over on 17% of his possessions. Where he has been very effective is i mean at least the number one thing is when you draft a guy as a shooter he can make shots that's like the number one and he can definitely make shots his jump shot is very pure he does have a little bit he kind of starts it low in front of his body and so you wonder a little bit about the versatility of it when he's really contested you know he's not he's not gonna have that high like clay thompson release when guys are closing out him it's gonna be a little more difficult for him but i mean his makes look really good like great arc on his shot he can hit some deep shots he hit a, a big one to basically ice the game against the wizards tonight that was you know a good four feet behind the line from the top of the key so yeah he, he's making shots i think you know he's even hit a couple of nice flybys a couple of threes off the dribble that's looked very good and overall 74 points on 58 spot up possessions that include a few drives but mostly it's out of spot of situations but mostly it's just standstill jumpers 91st percentile in the nba handoff same thing he's looked pretty good but where he really has struggled is as a pick and roll ball handler he has 27 possessions that he has either finished with a shot or turnover he has turned it over on 41 percent of those plays and he has scored only nine points on 27 possessions that is they don't have zeroth percentile in synergy it is first percentile first is not good Uh, and so how does he get to those turnovers he has showed some passing ability for sure you know and that's he makes some plays out of pick and roll where he throws it to guys you know we're talking about only plays that are finished with a shot or turnover to get to that 41 percent. but even when you throw in the the passes that he makes that are complete i mean it's still you know he's turning it over on i think if you throw in the passes like he's still turning it over on close to 20 percent of those possessions remember this isn't like a 20 percent turnover rate overall for the team this is a 20 percent turnover rate on one action that can be run within a possession so that is a massive massive number why is he turning it over so much a lot of it is coming from he's just not recognizing when the pick and roll is being played two on two so 
in those situations he's got to just score over his guy or he's got to find a way to get it to the roll man and make a way to make the big guard him you know he's not that dynamic that you know teams are concerned where they have to put where he's drawing the big and then they got to bring in another guy to help on the roll man and so his natural instinct seems to be to throw it to the weak side to try to find shooters but because the help has never come because he's not enough of a threat he just throws it right into the arm of a guy who never left his man to begin with he suffers from the same issues as monk where he's just not setting up his man to get contact on the screen while monk is a little shiftier and more athletic you know herder plays this very upright style uh, which is a problem on defense uh, as well and so you know and, and john collins a lot of times he'll play with him you know collins he wants to roll and get his own offense he doesn't want to set a good screen and get his guy open first uh you know alex len is a little bit better that's who the, they he runs it with a, a lot of the time but if they're not getting contact on the screen you're not getting the guy behind you to where any help has to come and so then he's getting in the air he's trying to make a pass he definitely thinks pass first out of these situations because he's not incredibly explosive going to the room he's had some nice finishes but it, you know when, when he's got guys in the area you know he's not really comfortable exploding at this point um he also even has a really high rate of turning it over on spot ups you know he turns it over on 10 percent of his spot up possessions which again i mean you're being thrown the ball when you're open on the perimeter in theory and that means he's trying to drive into traffic there's nothing there he's trying to draw and kick and you know a lot of times it's just he hasn't drawn so you can't kick you know that, that's kind of the issue i have been impressed that he's 11 out of 23 on jumpers off the dribble i mentioned that uh, and a lot of times what he's going to uh, it's considered a jumper off the dribble but it's really more of a floater where he gets in the lane he's not getting all the way to the rim and he's trying to rise up for kind of a half floater half jumper just inside the free throw line and he's showed decent touch on that shot but again that's not what you want to make a huge living on so i've liked his offense uh, i think given his age he's got not a great wingspan but good size to get his shot off so i, I think he's looked like he could be a, a decent prospect but, uh, you know, I'm not sure how much of this pick and roll stuff is going to work. He's really got a long way to go there. It's also pretty much every pick and roll he runs to, you know, he's not like getting the ball for a drag screen and transition. They run this play where he'll get a screen to pop up to the left slot area and it'll often be called out of a dead ball or after a free throw. And then he gets a screen from the guy who just screened for them and, and they'll run a pick and roll. They don't have great spacing on that play either, like because they've got Trey Young usually will be the guy in the right slot. And he's kind of like too close to Herter a, a lot of times, even with his deep shooting ability. You know, it, there's too much help there. So they haven't exactly been using him in the most creative ways to get him a pick and roll. It's kind of like, all right, we're trying to develop him. Let's run a pick and roll for him out of this dead ball instead of it just happening organically within the offense. And uh, his defense, he just is not really going to slide his feet. You know, he can't get deep into a stance. He's got a lot of work to do there. Got to get tougher. Um, and, and do you have just sort of an opinion of, of what you view his eventual outcome being? Danny well he's this is sort of paralleling Malik Monk where he's gonna have to shoot because not yeah. a great defender I don't expect him to ever be a great defender and Herder I think will, will eventually be eh, capable is probably a fair word with the ball in his hands I think you know those crazy turnover numbers that will tone down but you know his defense is, is definitely gonna be a problem if I had to guess right now I would say it's more likely that he ends up being a solid backup than a clear starter but I could absolutely see it going the other way. Like he has enough enough talent. And remember, they didn't. It's not like he was drafted in the top ten or anything. Herder went nineteenth. Yeah. So like, I, I think that's where you go with it. But he might end up being a player. Incidentally, Luke Kennard might end up being somebody like this too, where he ends up being a starter just because 
team's kind of okay with it and they have other needs. And so they just kind of stick around with him. That might not end up being with the Hawks because they have so many draft assets and everything else. But I could see him being that type of player just because of the positional scarcity. For I mean, for the people who listen to our shooting guard rankings, you know how fast it drops off at a couple of different stages. So I could see him getting into that mix of guys that I like. I think I had a category. It's like, you kind of don't want to start him, but you're happy to have him in your rotation. I could see him settling in there pretty easily. My comp for him was a better shooting, worse defending Evan Fournier. Hmm. That, and that's interesting because I think both of those guys are a little bit under, you know, like they have better passing instincts than some people give them credit for, but that they don't like they're good enough that you pay them, but they don't like they don't elevate your team that far. Yeah. I, I'm on board with that. But, but I think I mean, I think he uh, there's a thought that he could be I mean, he's got to get a lot better coming off screens. The numbers on there are, are limited, but uh, poor. Yeah. Um. You know, and, and again, you know, I don't think he has the type of like speed and lateral movement that like a Wayne Ellington or a JJ Redick do uh to really like you know get separation come off a screen and really elude his defender at the two you know he's gonna be slower than most twos uh but he could shoot over the top of them too but you know i mean if he's gonna just bomb deep threes at a high 30s clip you know that's and do some passing get out and transition finish at the rim and transition yeah, I could see him being a valuable player. I, I agree. I think it's, you know, is it fate accompli is going to be like a really good starter? Not necessarily, but, you know, from 20 to 40 at the shooting guard position, you know, it's not really clear who's a starter and who isn't necessarily. It just kind of depends what team you're on. So I, if I had to guess, I think he would end up in that group. But, you know, if you can get a player, I mean, I think he's, I would be very surprised if he's not a solid rotation player. You know, he's not going to be like Nick Stauskas or something. So I think he's looking like a solid pick at 19. Is he going to be the next Clay Thompson? No, but that's okay. I think he could he'd be a solid pick right where he was drafted. Anything else I on, think, on these guys, or, or should we? Uh, no, I, I, I think that's up? about it. It'll be it'll be really interesting to see how the players taken in his range. I mean, you have a Kogi and Chandler Hutchison and those type of guys, like wh- how they establish themselves. But again, being a if if it ends up being the herder and those guys are rotation players rather than starters at the 19th pick, I think you're pretty pretty happy with that, especially if they can contribute over the first couple of years of their contracts, as opposed to just like figuring it out in year four and then you're figuring out oh. God, do we have to pay them speaking of pretty happy i'm happy with what we did here today we will wrap it up at 11 47 p.m heading to the g league showcase tomorrow so no show but thursday i think this might be my favorite like non-mock podcast of the year the top 10 prospects in the nba 23 and under can't wait to do that one so we will talk to y'all on thursday until then reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest but let me play devil's advocate here let's see so no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 